Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely. With me as always is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Tuesday, May 31st, and today we're going to start by talking about Aries' deal to buy out American capital, so a buyout in the BDC sector. And then we're going to turn to increased deal-making in one of our favorite sectors to look for value currently, pharmaceuticals. Uh, so, Chris, Aries announced a deal to acquire American capital for about $3.4 billion last week. Uh, we can go through all sorts of stuff t- through that, but why don't I just turn it over to you and you can kick us off. I hadn't even heard of BDCs before the financial crisis in 2007 or 2008. Mm-hmm. Good that I hadn't because it was kind of a catastrophe for several. I got to know the guys at Aries well. I am uh, and will always be super grateful for them for kind of walking me through, teaching me, uh, explaining their business model. Um, it was a... Uh, a great time to get involved. We ended up owning some uh, Aries, and uh, since then, uh, you know, they recovered uh, pretty well. Um, both uh, they and American Capital kind of recovered, but uh, in the case of American Capital, they've kind of been at a discount to book value. They've recovered kind of more slowly, and uh, they uh, that's led to the ire of some of their shareholders. So why don't I define what a BDC is to start? So a BDC is a publicly traded, basically, investment company where they are going to take assets. They're going to invest them in BDCs. For the most part, they're investing in smaller companies' loans. So first Mm -hmm. lien debt for very small companies that kind of banks and really big credit hedge funds can't invest in. Uh, And most investors kind of value these guys because, A, their exposure to a type of uh, private loan that you can't really get access to on your own. And B, most BDCs traditionally pay a nice dividend. They'll put a little bit of leverage on their books. They'll pay out a nice dividend, and investors love to get access to that dividend. Uh, American Capital is the second largest BDC, and Aries is the largest BDC. As you mentioned, uh, American Capital has consistently traded for a discount to book value. And book value for some companies doesn't really matter, but for a BDC, it should be the kind of uh, if you liquidated the company tomorrow and kind of slowly sold off their their assets, that's what you would get for those assets. Uh, so when you trade at a discount to book value, the market is saying either we think you're going to destroy value with your future investments or your current investments aren't worth what they're marking them at. Uh, some some more history, American Capital was going to pursue this extremely complex spinoff mm-hmm. to close the distance between book value and what they were trading at. Uh, I believe it was legally going to be the first type of its spinoff uh, of its nature. Uh, and then eventually activist Elliott Management came in last year, acquired a big stake. They argued the spin was just way too complex and uh, was a way to entrench and overpay the management team. And they pushed for a sale instead. American Capital immediately caved and began exploring a sale. So that's kind of the background that led up to this deal. The deals uh, for $17.40 per share are about 0.85x book. And uh, I think it might be a win for Elliot, but I think some shareholders might be disappointed. And why don't you take it? Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't run this through your uh, standard on closed-end funds for the relationship between the discount and the overcompensation for management. But mm-hmm. it actually always is a good way to think about it, that that should be, should be a relationship that you should get more of a discount than 10x the management mm-hmm. fee. Um, but uh, in this case... Um, so the uh, deal is valued at $17.40, but it's a Rube Goldberg machine of a deal in terms of getting there. Um, the uh, complex consideration getting it from 
from several sides. But this is a big win for Elliott. Their purchase price was $13.30 per share or so. So they win. It's As an exit, it's kind of meh. You know, the idea that you're exiting at a discount to book value is kind of an admission that something went wrong in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I think shareholders are probably going to be rightly maybe a little disappointed. You know, exiting at $17.40 per share, a discount to book value. Uh, and we'll talk, it's a very complex deal, which probably increases the discount it should trade for. Uh, exiting at a discount when you're kind of engaged in an auction and people said, Blackstone, Apollo, Fortress, Aries, we're all going to be interested. Yeah. That doesn't really jive with the selling for a big discount to book value. Elliott had even argued in November that uh, American Capital was going to be worth $23 per share or kind of 1.2x book value. So this, I could see how this could leave a bad taste in some investors' mouth. I don't know that anything looked worse once they got into due diligence or in the deal books or anything really changed since then. But uh, but it's, it's a discount to what Elliott said we would get. So it, uh, Aries did say they really looked through American Capital's books and each of them looked through each other's books and uh, kind of marked everything exactly to market. The one thing that I think has changed since November is BDCs in general. Their share multiple has fallen off a cliff. A lot of them were trading for well in excess of NAV in November, and now a lot of them are trading at a discount. So I think that accounts for some of the difference, but you know, to sell at 0.85x is very disappointing. But still, a lot of companies were interested in American capital, and do you kind of want to talk about why so many companies were interested in buying American capital? Well, I would say for a lot of the reasons that Elliott was a skeptic, that mm-hmm. this was a complicated uh, structure with a too high, I mean, the, an overcompensated management, if they were marketing the book right, you know, you could take out costs and presumably to the correct owners, it should be worth at least a book. If they were making good decisions, you know, these are, these, these are not kind of liquid, easily marked uh, securities, but if they're even okay, you know, buying it close to book should be a layup, I think. Yep, yep, and I, I think that's right. I think Ari said, "Hey, American Capital, your shares might trade at a little bit of a discount because you don't pay a dividend and everyone else does, so that mm-hmm. kind of precludes your buyer base." Uh, I, I listened to the call earlier today, and Aries' uh, whole thing was, "Look, big banks have pulled back from lending to small companies, so by getting bigger, we can take advantage of that niche." There's benefits to scale. We get a lower cost of capital. We can leverage our IT and investment professional spend. Uh, but it, a big piece of the pitch is really size is going to be helpful for us. We'll be a one-stop shop for private equity companies looking to raise money. Uh, one example kind of is if a private equity company is looking to borrow $100 million, instead of going to four companies and raising $25 million and then having each of them syndicate those loans separately, there's a lot of kind of excess costs and excess time there. You can just go straight to Aries and they'll do the whole $100 million check. Aries can keep more of the underwriting fees. They can keep more of the syndication fees. And the private equity company, uh, it's much simpler to deal with just one company. I think a more cynical person might point out that uh, – the bigger a BDC is, the bigger paycheck for the BDC's managers. So there, there is something to be said for a BDC getting bigger and increasing the management fee. But Chris, why don't we turn to, is there opportunity here? Do you see any areas to invest here? Um, as I mentioned in disclosure, I am a shareholder. Um, it's tightened up quite a bit since then. So at this point, I'm not blowing out of it, but it's it's okay. Maybe a little better than okay. You know, it's a, it's a discount. Uh, to the deal price, the spread's about five percent. 
Um, you know, I think that generally I love the category of unhedgeable merger arb or merger arb where it's a complex consideration. So, you know, you just have to follow the process. It's just work. But it's one of those things where uh, I like I like the uh, inbound uh, profit being a geometric and the outbound uh, work being linear. So I'm happy to do the work. And um, there's one other little aside that I'll throw in. So Wait, I th- why don't you hit the aside one second? I just want to clarify one thing. Go. So you are a shareholder of American Capital, which it, trades yes. for $16.10. The consideration uh, is $16.90 at Aries current stock price. Correct. And I think the reason for this 5% spread is, as you were talking about, it's a super complex consideration. Mm-hmm. You get stock, cash from two different sources, more cash consider- contingent on the sale of a business, make up dividends and fee waivers. So it's a hugely complex deal. And that's what you're talking about with the unhedgeable arithmetic yeah, stuff. And, and, just, and, and, and it might even be somewhat good for the buyer's consideration yep. by the time we get to it. Just by the time it's cleaned up, you know, the sell side usually uh, kind of sits in the sideline for the fun part. And at the end, then they raise the price. One deal that I just, uh, I, I actually participated in was Ruckus Brocade today. Mm-hmm. And there was a big stock component of it, Brocade stock, BRCD. Uh, and the deal closed, and as soon as the deal closed, brocade stock has gone up by about 10% just mm-hmm. on the deal closing and all the ARBs and everything getting out. So stock can certainly rise on the uh, deal closing. But anyway, I want to turn back to you and let you talk about the other kind of little tiny piece. Oh, yeah, just just to mention on the side, American Capital Senior Floating, ticker ACSF. Just a little uh, aside, a fund publicly traded uh, that is currently affiliated with the Target there has been, unless I missed it, which I might have, no specific reference to the plans for it, but they'll probably end up buying that out too. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it trades at a pretty decent discount to NAV. Discount to yep. NAV. And so at a double digit discount to NAV, uh, you know, you will probably capture some substantial amount of that when the plans for that are revealed probably around the end of this year. Perfect. Uh, anything else here? Or should we turn to no, pharma? Sure. Okay. So just before we turn to pharma, a quick reminder: if you like this podcast, the way to get more of them is to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audio Boom. If you already follow us, rating us or referring us to a friend helps us build our audience, which encourages us to take more. So please take a moment to follow, rate, or share us. Uh, so Chris, let's talk a little bit more about pharma. Uh, we've mentioned the space several times on this podcast. The most recent one was we talked about the motivation. Bidding more on our May 4th podcast, Can Comcast Take on Disney? And I think we've really been attracted to the space as a hunting ground for value investing because all of the share prices have been crushed so much because of three reasons. Increased fear of regulatory pressure in response to price increases and kind of the Hillary Clinton tweet that said we're going to look into regulating all these price increases. Uh, Valiant's blow, blow up has put a huge kind of overhang on the sector. And Pfizer and Allergan having their merger blocked by the Treasury also kind of increased selling pressure on the uh, space. And I think we're starting to see signs that the space might be bottoming a little bit. And Mm -hmm. do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I would just say one of my favorite things that you've said, if I can quote Andrew Walker for a minute, is that we look where no one is looking or where everyone is panicking. And uh, where no one is looking, mostly in the small cap stuff, some of the things that you focus on really could be in any sector as long as it's being ignored. Mm -hmm. But where everyone is panicking, that this year has basically been energy or spec pharma. And when we came into the year, those were just two... Uh, kind of 10 out of 10s in terms of panic and both have had massive re- mean reversion since then. Yep, yep. Um, and then and then the type of mean reversion I particularly like, which is on the panic, things go down more than up, but also the correlation tends to go one to one, goes very, very high. 
Uh, but what I also like is on the unpanic, not only do things go up more than down, but you tend to get what you deserve yep. at, at the micro level, at the, the specific uh, losers, stay losers, but the winners become winners. Uh, and, um, and that's the fun part because if you're a good analyst – uh, doing firm level work, that's where it shows. We, it, we've we mentioned Valiant a ton of times, but it's so funny. As their share price, they're down about 70% year to date, and they had some big days where they were down you know, 50% in a mm-hmm. day. And on those big days, it seemed like uh, the whole sector was down 40 or 50% on a day in kind. It didn't matter. But really since then, the rest of the kind of good companies, we'll call them, have drifted up or shot up in some cases, and Valiant's share price has still lingered below. But why don't we turn our attention specifically to why we think we're starting to see signs of the bottom in spec pharma? Sure. Um, you know, Charlie Munger, my favorite comment he made at the, the meeting this year was that micro is what we do, macro is what we tolerate. Mm-hmm. And so having tolerated a lot of macro, uh, you know, I think that we are starting to see uh, some um, some breaking apart from the good and the bad. Um, I'd say good. Uh, we're starting to see some real deal flow. You know, yep. we haven't seen a conclusion to MDVM. I own some. I think we will. I think that's going to work out extremely well. But we're starting to see some other deals. Yep. So MDVN is a bidding war with a lot of large pharma companies involved, and that'll be a ten billion dollar plus deal. But we've also seen just in the past month, Pfizer Anacor was a five billion dollar plus mm-hmm. deal at a big premium. This morning, Jazz bought Celator for about $1.5 billion. AbbVie bought a private company, Stemcentrix, for $5 billion plus. And I thought Pfizer Anacor was specific was really interesting because if you read the merger background there, uh, Pfizer Allergan broke up. And literally within a couple days, both of them were calling Anacor and saying, hey, we, we'd love to buy you now that that deal is gone. Uh, and Pfizer just ended up outbidding Allergan. So you've got large farmers starting to see value in the space. And in addition, you've got kind of a lot of these fallen angels where a lot of private equity interest is inbound. So TPG and Takata just came out that they offered to buy about, they approached Valiant with a takeover offer in March that was ultimately turned down because they thought the new CEO could kind of uh, show a lot of upside. And two mini Valiants, Endo, which is run by uh, Valiant's former COO, uh, TPG just increased their stake in Endo, and s- people think that might lead to a buyout. And uh, there's been rumors that Blackstone approached Concordia, who was a mini international valiant, about a takeover about a month ago as well. And if you know anything about private equity, it's they like to go where everyone's panicking and kind of some of the parts prices are low, so they can buy, sell off parts, and realize a really incre- a really interesting return on investment. Oh, and Carl Icahn announced a big stake in Allergan this morning. So go ahead. You know, I've I've always been against uh, uh, age uh, cutoffs for executives and boards. Uh, pilots still have age cutoffs that are very antiquated, and I think you know, geez, the young pilots have better reflexes; they can fly right through a hurricane. The old pilots have better. <laughs> judgment they'll just see a hurricane and they'll fly slowly around it mm-hmm. and carl icon's getting to be an old guy uh, i don't know that he has the reflexes he once did i don't know if he is kind of doing the detail work but he has great judgment and arbs are terrible at selling yep. broken arb deals so when he saw allergan uh break and just plummet right through its value on the way down he was able to scoop up a ton at a bargain and I, I think it's particularly interesting. I mean, Carl Icahn's well respected as kind of one of the best activist investors of all time. TPG, who in this story you'll hear them on Endo and Valiant, they're one of the most respected private equity players in the healthcare space. One they, of my uh, favorites. you know, the way they got involved with Endo was they bought Par Pharma for one point eight billion dollars in two thousand twelve, and they sold it to Endo for I believe about eight billion dollars last year. So that's an incredible return. But obviously, they also know it means they know Endo's assets very, very well. 
So uh, they, they know Endo's assets very well, so they might see some hidden value there. Uh, so, Chris, why don't I, I think how to play this? We've got some of our own favorites in this sec, in the smaller to mid cap space that I don't really want to talk to, talk about right now. Sure. We don't have much time, uh, but you know, all of large farm it has great balance sheets and proven track records of being buyers. So, if you find value there, you should go there. But I think one interesting way is to play like Carl Icahn, Allergan, and I'll let you discuss that for a little bit. Sure, just a uh, broken uh, deal. Uh, you know, you can look at a standalone value. A couple things I'd say about this company in particular. Three facts. Uh, one, they're going to get, they're in the process of getting antitrust approval for the Tiva, for the uh, deal with Tiva. Uh, that'll close next month. They'll have a sale of their uh, generics portfolio. Yep. Uh, they're going to end up massively liquid. So you're not done a crisis. You're coming slowly out of a crisis era, a panic in their sector as the guys with the best or one of the best balance sheets. And that's um, always a great place to be. Having cash where everyone everyone else is panicking is so great. Asset prices are low. You've got cash. You can just go buy choice assets at a discount. Go ahead. I, I think sometimes, you know, now's the time to be a liquid billionaire. And I think there's never a bad time to be that. <laughs> but the worst things are the better premium for being rich, liquid. Mm-hmm. And not only are they the or one of the most liquid, but they are the or one of the best managed companies in the space, too. They have terrific a trustworthy management team that's shareholder friendly. One of Carl Icahn's thing when he uh, when he bought in, he sent he sent out a letter said I've known uh, Allergan CEOs for years. Mm-hmm. I was an instrumental in installing him with Forest Lab, which eventually got taken over by Allergan. And he said he's the best in the business. Uh, Pfizer, one of the rumors they wanted to acquire Allergan was install him as kind of the CEO in waiting. So you've got to have a great management team, best in class, very focused on shareholder value. There, Go ahead. and I'd like to say the same thing about myself, but I'll certainly say about Carl Icahn, he's not afraid to say the opposite if he doesn't like somebody very so uh, so this is somebody whose compliment is sincere uh, about that he's not just a cheerleader um and you know then they could circle around and end up being uh the buyer of a lot of the calamities or a lot of the market calamities yep. and, and the last thing is allergan has a great portfolio of blockbuster drugs kind of headed by uh botox mm-hmm. which is a great drug because it's cash pay and it's more a brand name drug you know you go to the plastic surgeon and you ask for Botox by name, and the plastic surgeon just he gives you Botox because that's yep. what you ask for. And there's a lot of other aspects to it, but they've got a great portfolio of blockbuster drugs that will generate a lot of cash flow consistently for years. Uh, so I think that's it. Anything else on Spec Pharma? Any thoughts you've got rambling around you want to say? I think that's it. Okay, that's it. Uh, so that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, a reminder, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audio Boom. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to email it to us at podcast at rangelycapital.com. Uh, disclosures. I don't think I have any. Uh, Chris, I believe you're long ACAS, which we mentioned. Yep. You're long uh, MDVN, which yep. we mentioned. Are you long any Allergan? Um, you know, that's it. Okay, that's it. So those are your disclosures. Thanks for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you tomorrow.